Welcome to the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. This week, Wit, Matt, and myself, Keys, give the rundown on the crazy coaching carousel that's been spending all week long. We also dive into the mailbag to answer questions sent in by our followers. And finally, it's conference championship week, so stay tuned for our matchup picks and breakdowns at the end of the show. Now let's pop the tab. Well, this has been a crazy week for the coaching carousel. You guys want to get into that a little bit? Well, let's do it. The the, co- the coaching carousel has been absolutely drunk. <laughs> it's been nutty. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you could say drunk. I'm pouring one out for the coaching carousel because it's been ridiculous. I mean, honestly, I feel like Billy Napier to Florida just didn't even happen this week. Like, that was the first news to come out. And when that came out, that was massive news because University of Florida, even though maybe it wasn't the biggest name on the coaching market, it's still a huge name. Like it's it's one of the best jobs in college football, probably a top five or ten job, and it's been completely swept under the rug. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and Billy Napier is a guy that was sought after by a lot of big colleges last year, and he kind of just hung out at ULL and or I guess they're kind of they've, they've dropped the Lafayette from their name for whatever reason, but he's hung out at Louisiana and and. For a lot of people, it was like, well, what, what's he waiting for? And then the LSU job opened up this year, and everyone immediately assumed, well, natural geographic fit going from Lafayette, Louisiana to Baton Rouge, Louisiana is, is Billy Napier. And then they didn't really – from what I heard from a guy that I kind of trust that's a, that's a beat writer with, with a little bit of inside scoop on the SEC is that Napier was the guy that they wanted until they were able to get in touch with Lincoln Riley. And that he had – there was real mutual interest between Lincoln Riley and LSU. And then when Lincoln Riley kind of heard about the USC job, he ghosted LSU. And then with all the Lincoln Riley smoke, Brian Kelly's people got involved and said, hey, what about this LSU deal? And – Billy Napier just kind of fell to the wayside. He was like the the girl at the party that gets a little attached too quickly or and too early on. Like you you, you meet her, and she, it's good to have to know that that's your backup plan, and they're there if you need them. But it, so she kind of falls into Florida's lap, you know, with, with it, 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 Billy Napier being the 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 girl at the party. But you know, I mean, it's been it's a phenomenal opportunity for Billy Napier there in Florida. That was that was a great analogy there, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, girl at the party. And I, I actually agreed too, but um, I think Billy Napier, out of all the names we've seen hired so far, I think he's the guy you want if you want to build up your program. Like to me, USC, they've done a good job recruiting. I think they had one year with Clay Helton where they were just not good at all. Besides that, they've been like top 12, top five, top 10-ish. They're just not you know, producing the results that USC needs to be producing. And it's been the same thing with LSU. They're recruiting really well. And they were really good um, in the first two years with Ed Ogeron. They went, I think, what, 10-3 and three his first year. And then they won the national championship going 15-0 and 0 the second year. Um, but after that, they're just not performing well. So they have the guys. Both those schools have the guys. They really just needed coaches to come in and um, help produce the talent, help win games, coach on the field and uh, create results. So I think Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to LSU, both those jobs are going to do what they want them to do. 
And and all of those hires, like I know I know our friend Chad is like super freaked out, and he's like, Billy Napier is the least flashy hire. Sometimes that's a good thing. Like it's it's great to have the media attention, and all of the ESPN and everywhere else is going to go nuts over this news about Lincoln Riley to USC, and they're going to go nuts over Brian Kelly to LSU, and they're going to go nuts over whoever goes to Oklahoma. But that doesn't make Billy Napier any worse of a hire. I think that he is like you said, the best hire for that, what Florida wants them to do. That's kind of a depleted program. They haven't been recruiting really well. And, you know, everybody always talks about, well, you know, he's never recruited five-star guys and he's never done this. Well, no, he was at Louisiana. He didn't have to do that. That wasn't, that wasn't what his, his job at Louisiana was to do, but he built a really solid program and the foundations of what Louisiana was is going to be the foundations of what Florida is, and they that those programs take on those identities, and and I think Florida is going to be. I think Billy Napier is a great hire for Florida, and Florida is going to do a really good job moving forward and moving on from the Dan Mullen era. It's going to be a one eighty from what they were, what they've had culture wise for sure. I think you're a hundred percent right on that too, because back when Billy Napier was at Alabama, he was the recruiting guy. He was kind of like the Del McGee at Georgia, where. He is the guy that not a lot of people knew his name. He wasn't the defense coordinator. He wasn't the offensive coordinator. He's not a big-name coach. He's an under-the-radar guy, but he's going into people's houses, and he's selling them on coming to that school. And that's what the University of Florida needs right now, especially with the opportunity they have with Miami being down. UCF is back to being down, and Florida State is way down. I mean, even this year, they took a little bit of a step forward, but they still went 5-7. and seven. They didn't even make a bowl game. So if they can get a guy in there that can recruit the talent in Florida and can get guys to stay home and not go play for Kirby Smart or Nick Saban, then I think Billy Napier is going to be extremely successful at Florida. And I could definitely see that happening. And then with Lincoln Riley to USC, like like you said, they the, the thing with USC is there's so much rich talent in Southern California. They needed a guy to come in that was going to be able to recruit that area really well. And he already had 2023 quarterback Malachi Nelson coming into Oklahoma, who is now decommitted and, com- and committed to USC. Uh, Lincoln Riley's name carried a lot of weight there at Oklahoma, more so than I think some Oklahoma fans would like to admit. I don't think that he was above the program, but when you have three quarterbacks in a row go 1-1-2 one, one, and two in the Heisman voting, that's... That's pretty impressive, and and you're going to be able to recruit really well, really good quarterbacks because you get to say, well, I was the OC that kind of developed these guys, and then I became the head coach, and I developed them a little bit more, and I'm an offensive-minded coach. When you look at the the current state of the Pac-12, you're competing with Oregon, and at the end of the day, if if you ask a kid from Southern California, where would you rather be, Eugene, Oregon, or, or Los Angeles? You're going to be a superstar in LA. You get to hang with the with the Hollywood elite. You get to ha- you get to be on ESPN, all of their magazines because it doesn't matter how bad you are originally. You're USC. They're they're always going to be in the top 25 conversation in preseason no matter what they their talent is. And now with Lincoln Riley, I I feel like they have that relevance again to potentially go on and be what they were with Pete Carroll and have that that renaissance of of USC football. See, and I think Lincoln Riley is the perfect guy for this job, too, because he's so young. I think one thing that really held them back from recruiting well in Southern California was the fact that Clay Helton was an older guy. He was more of a by-the-book kind of guy. He wants everyone to be like on the straight and arrow. 
And I don't think Lincoln Riley's like an Ed Ogeron where he'll just let guys get away with anything. But I do think he's very looser. He's more he's he'll play like he'll be your buddy. He won't he he won't be like the the asshole of a head coach that will yell at you for breaking the rules once or whatever. Like he seems like a guy that kind of lets you get away with a little bit. And USC in Southern California is a school that recruits better when you let your players get away with going out uh, partying with like the Hollywood stars, with the Lakers, with people like that who um, can get you name recognition, especially with the NIL that's been going on and all that, like people being able to make money. Coming to USC with Lincoln Riley there now is a huge benefit for people. Oh, yeah, and the NIL plays a big role into that. And, you know, Oklahoma is a big blue blood kind of name in college football. And this is kind of what I was talking about a little bit whenever they decided they were going to make the move to to the SEC. I don't think Lincoln Riley was ever on board with that. And and I do think that that played a little bit of a role into it. And I know I know Lando would say that it's a weak-minded thing to do, but at the same time, you just watched Dan Mullen win the East last year and get fired this year. Ed Ogeron won a national championship had one of the greatest teams of all time, 15-0, and 0, two years ago, and he's already gone. So at what point when Oklahoma comes into the SEC, would Oklahoma say, hey, you know, we are still Oklahoma and we still value winning. We've gone 8-4 and four and 9-3. and three. We don't like this. And now Lincoln Riley's jobless, and he's not as hot of a commodity as he is right now where he can go make $10 million a year or $11 million a year, whatever the report is, and get a private jet access and all that stuff that he's getting right now from USC. I mean, those terms, I don't know if all of those were confirmed or not, but the terms that I saw on social media for Lincoln Riley were unreal, and and I don't blame him for leaving. And I know that a lot of people are giving him hate and saying he was scared of the SEC. I don't necessarily think it's it's fear. But it's it's more of a respect for a lot of the SEC institutions have established themselves as major brands. Like, Georgia's not going anywhere, and Kirby Smart's not going anywhere. Alabama, as long as Nick Saban there, is there, isn't going anywhere. LSU is a, is a well-established brand in, that com- in, in the conference. Texas A&M has established themselves a little bit more as a brand in the SEC. That's a hard thing to do, and it takes time, and... Lincoln Riley saw that. He didn't like that, that move, and, and I think he's made a smart decision by going to USC where I think he will have more success there early on than he would if he went with Oklahoma to the SEC. I think he will too. I mean, considering the fact that Oklahoma, every single year when they have to play these SEC teams, I know they played Georgia really close, um, and I'd say that year with Baker Mayfield was probably the best team they've had where they've actually had a shot at winning a national championship. Every year beyond that, when they've had to play an SEC team, they get absolutely blitzed. Like, it's honestly, to me, it's the same as Brian Kelly with Notre Dame, um, except for the fact that Notre Dame wasn't going to come to the SEC. Brian Kelly has seen over these last 12 years that the guys he can recruit well and he can get good players, but the guys he's recruiting are not going to be able to beat these SEC juggernauts that they're playing. Now, obviously, Notre Dame also did the same thing with Georgia when they got to play them in 2017 and 2019. They played them close, but they still lost those games. And when they played the best team, every every year where they have to play the best team from the Southeast, they lose that game. And it's bad. It's not even close. Yeah, and, and you saw that. I mean... 
a lot of people are hating on the Brian Kelly move. They feel like he doesn't really fit the LSU brand. But I don't think you get more on-brand Louisiana than Ed Orgeron. So whatever they got was going to be different. And in reality, Brian Kelly, to me, is a perfect fit for LSU because of what he brings as a coach to that program. And if you look at Notre Dame, like back in 2012, whenever they played Alabama in the Natty, and they got absolutely steamrolled. And it was because it wasn't a talent gap. But I mean, there was the talent gap, but it was also... They were not a very physical football team. They were they just got beat in every facet. And if you watch Notre Dame last year, even in the game against Alabama, nobody was beating Alabama last year. But Notre Dame was a much tougher, more physical football team last year than they were whenever they played each other in 2012. And he made great strides in that, and he made an emphasis in the trenches. And I think that that's going to help him be successful at LSU. He's gonna he's he brings a good discipline that. That mindset that he has, he's a lot, a lot, pretty hot headed. Like that, that whole mindset, I think, will will bode well with those Cajun folks in Baton Rouge. I think so too. And honestly, in my opinion, the type of guy that Brian Kelly is with that culture, I think it's exactly what LSU needs down there. I think the issue they had with Ed O'Duron is they were letting too many players get away with things they shouldn't have let players get away with. And you were having guys who were caring more about some outside deals than they were about what's going on on the football field. LSU has the guys to go win next year. If Brian Kelly comes in here and gets everything right, they could go win a national championship next year, and it would not surprise me one bit. Brian Kelly is a good coach. He's done really, really well with a Notre Dame team that never recruits in the top five. They're always top ten. They're exactly how Dan Mullen was at Florida. They're five to ten, but every single year, they're in the playoff. So I think if you give Brian Kelly the right players, you give him the right resources like they have at LSU, you don't have the whole Catholic backing that Notre Dame has where they kind of hold you back a little bit based on some stuff with religion. I think Brian Kelly can do a lot more at LSU than he could have at Notre Dame. Um, but I also think it's a good thing for Notre Dame, too, because I think it opens it up for them to get somebody else in there, maybe a little bit younger, who can build that program a little bit more. Um, and hopefully... This could open some eyes for the Notre Dame faithful to be like, maybe we don't have to, you know, have staff members and recruit players that are that have like the Catholic background, Catholic religion, whatever. Let's recruit more to win football games and build the program and actually throw money at the football team. So uh, I think it's a good move for both teams. For sure. And and I mean, that, that that's the thing is like, I, I haven't seen a coaching carousel move yet that I said, oh, don't like that. Like like Lincoln Riley, I think was he made a good move to USC. If you're gonna move from a power five to a power five, that's the way to do it. Go to a place where there's not as gonna be nearly as much pressure as where he's already at currently. I mean USC will be happy being relevant in the Pac twelve and winning Pac twelve championships again. Even if they're making the playoff once every three or four years, they'll be happy with just being relevant again. They haven't been relevant in a while. Brian Kelly to LSU, he maxed out his potential at, at Notre Dame. As, and as much as it probably sucks for those players that he's been recruiting to Notre Dame and the guys that are at Notre Dame to feel kind of slighted, like, you know, Notre, Notre Dame brand-wise is at the same level as an LSU. But they don't have the ability to recruit because there's a lot of academic standards that you've got to meet at Notre Dame that you don't have to meet at LSU. And and as much as maybe as unfair as that is for Notre Dame, it's the truth. 
it's really hard to get a perfect blend of athlete and brain. And that's what you have to have at Notre Dame. And he maxed out his potential there. So he made the move, and I think it was a smart move for him. And again, Billy Napier to Florida is just, in my in my opinion, is just as good of a move for Florida as is for both of those teams that, that got those guys. The difference is, is it's going to take a little bit more molding from Billy Napier at Florida. They're not like to me. I, I agree with you. LSU could go win the West next year and potentially win a national championship. Florida's not ready to compete in the East with Georgia yet. They don't have the dudes there yet. The good thing is, and I guess it's it, it could be a bad thing, like Lincoln Riley is going to find a little bit more of immediate success there at USC because of the transfer per, transfer portal rules now versus what it used to be. Like when head coaches used to get hired, the, the adage was you give them three recruiting cycles and then you kind of see where they're at then, have they made progress. Now with the transfer portal, you can find some pretty immediate success, and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss has proven that. You go out there, you get a couple of dudes from the transfer portal. The The biggest players for Ole Miss's defense this year, Otis Reese, transfer from Georgia. Chance Campbell, transfer from Maryland. Sam Williams is a guy that they've had there already. And then uh, Jake Springer, safety, who's a transfer from Navy. So they're three of their four best defensive players are all transfer guys. Lincoln Riley is going to have that success at USC because I think a lot of guys from Oklahoma are going to follow him over to USC. And I think Brian Kelly might get a couple of guys to go with him from Notre Dame to LSU that could, could help them out. But LSU's got a lot of talent there already that just hasn't been being developed. And I think that's because Ed Ogeron is a great motivator and he's a great recruiter, but not a great football coach. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, Matt. So Billy Napier, Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, who wins a national championship in the next five years and who wins one in the next 10? I think... Billy Napier has the biggest uphill battle because he's got a that that culture is so depleted there that he's got to completely change everything around. Plus, he's going to be competing against Kirby Smart in the East, and then if he wins in the East, he's going to be competing against Brian Kelly and Nick Saban for an SEC championship. I think he's got the biggest uphill battle. Um, I think in the next five years, I could see either. I honestly could see Lincoln Riley winning a national championship at USC in the next five years. Uh, and Brian Kelly in the next 10. And, I mean, I think you could put Billy Napier in the next 10. I don't see that happening in the next five. But Florida fans are going to have to be a little bit patient, kind of like Michigan's been with Jim Harbaugh. You're going to have to be okay with going 9-3 and three and 10-2 and two most years. And if he struggles a little bit against Kirby Smart in the beginning, it's because Kirby's a really good coach and Georgia's recruiting top three year in and year out. And – You've got to accept of where you're falling in the recruiting rankings. If you're there or around there at the end of the season, then like in the in the college football playoff rankings, then you're doing okay. Like if you're recruiting eighth best in the country and you're the eighth number eight team in the country, that's not a bad thing. That means you're recruiting right on brand and you're developing right on par with where you should be. And that's where I think Florida's got the biggest uphill battle is because Kirby. So I would go Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley could really because of the schedule, I mean, and, and that matters. It really does. His toughest test every year is Oregon. I mean, that that that's it. And then he ha- he might have to beat them twice if they play in the Pac-12 championship, but they don't have, like, Brian Kelly is going up against Nick Saban every year. Nick Saban 
Brian Kelly, if you look at the West, the SEC West coaching list is insane. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you – my best shot would be Lincoln Riley. But then again, I feel like it could be like what he was at Oklahoma where he'll get him to the playoff but maybe not win a game in the playoff solely because of that brand of football that they're going to play. And they're going to play West Coast USC football. They'll light it up on the scoreboard, but defense, eh. Lincoln Riley, I like him to get – a team to the playoff the fastest because of the schedule, because of the fact that, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Oregon either. I mean, right now Oregon's set up for success, but there's lots of rumblings about Mario Cristobal wanting that Miami job if it ever comes opening. I personally don't think I would do it. I don't know if that's something that will actually happen. I honestly don't think it will, Um, but it's something out there. And I mean, Oregon's been a good recruiting team the last couple years but they're the same as florida they're recruiting top seven to ten it's not top five they're not getting in that top five range um now that could change here with edo being gone from lsu um and some other things happening but um to me i think brian kelly's my guy if you want to win a national championship right now in the next three years brian kelly's the guy i would want for my team lincoln rally it would be my five-year guy like kind of in that five-year range. I think he's a guy that could build, that still has some work to do. He's got to build the program. He's not going to win it in the next three. I think he's going to make a playoff in the next three, Um, but I probably would give him about five years. I don't know if Lincoln would ever win one at a USC, but I think he's the perfect fit for a guy to transform USC from the culture that they are right now, where they people kind of look at them and they're like, oh, well, USC used to be good, but too bad they haven't been since 2005 or whatever. Now you can look at him and go, okay, this is a proven head coach. This is a guy that can recruit well. This is a guy that can coach well. He's gotten teams to the playoff. He's competed with SEC teams. He hasn't beaten one, but he is a good coach, and he could change this program um, if given the right help, and I think he'll get the right help from USC. Long-term, 10 years, I think Billy Napier would be my guy, and the reason for that is we've seen what Lincoln Riley can do Lincoln Riley has never won a playoff game. We've seen what Brian Kelly can do. Brian Kelly's never won a playoff game, both with blue blood programs that have recruited in that top 10 level. Give Billy Napier time to recruit, see if he can do what, you know, Kirby Smart did at Georgia, what Nick Saban did when he got to Alabama back way back in the day. Um, I think Billy Napier hasn't had the chance to do it for that reason. I think he's the one that I know that actually could have a shot at being that recruiting juggernaut, building that team up from where Dan Mullen has them right now and actually competing for a national championship. Not to mention they're in Florida. Oh, for sure. And and like you said earlier, Florida State's down. I think Florida State actually has like a top five recruiting class next year they're for top, 2023, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're top 10. I don't think they're top five yet. Okay. I knew that they were up there, but I think Billy Napier is a better hire than Mike Norvell. And he will be, he will flip some guys. And I think, I, I really do. I've got a lot of faith in Billy Napier. And I think you could see the kind of guy that he was by staying at ULL as long as he did. I mean, he could have left last year if he really wanted a job out that was a power five job. But I think he was waiting on the right one and Florida was the right one. Yeah, I think it's a good pickup. But let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag. Speaking of first year head coaches, this question's from Chad S underscore five two nine. Tennessee and South Carolina have both been scrapping. Whose future is brighter? For me, I'm going to say Tennessee. And that's just because 
the Tennessee brand is a lot easier to recruit to than the South Carolina brand. I like Shane Beamer. I think South Carolina is a stepping stone job for Shane Beamer. He's not a South Carolina lifer. I could see Josh Heupel being more in tune to stay at Tennessee long term. Um, so if you if if you were to ask me like who do I think could be a real threat in the SEC East in three years, Tennessee for sure because Heupel had them guys playing up this year with without even having his a lot of his best players or guys that fit his system yet. So give him a recruiting class. I like Heupel. I like Heupel too, and not just because I think Tennessee is a better job than South Carolina, but I think Heupel did a lot of really good things on the football field. He coached the team he had very well. They didn't have a lot of talent this year. Bringing in Hendon Hooker was big. Um, I'm a little iffy on the fact that he started Joe Milton to start the season. I don't really know what he saw in Joe Milton over Hendon Hooker, in my opinion. I don't think Hendon Hooker's a superstar, but considering all the guys they had take off after Jeremy Pruitt got fired, and uh, with the chance of having all the NCAA violations come on him for all the recruiting stuff they had going on, uh, I think Kaipel's done a really good job. If he can recruit well, even get into that, that top 15, top 10 range, I think he could do really well at Tennessee. I don't ever see him passing Kirby Smart or Nick Saban, at least as of now. But I think at least next year, the year after, maybe the next three years or so, they're going to be that second team in the East. Uh, moving on to our next question. This one also from Chad S underscore 529. His question is, is Mike Gundy the last of a dying breed of – Long tenured coaches without a championship. I think he's one of the last few. Um, unfortunately, and and this is not me being biased, Alabama fan. This is me being honest. It's the Nick Saban effect. When you have a guy like Nick Saban that comes in and in twelve years has won six national titles, or fourteen years won six national titles, a lot of people are going to start to get a little antsy and especially because you don't want to be seen as falling behind. And I also think it's increased fan bases expectations because, you know, if you're, if you're a Florida, you don't sit around and let Georgia go 12 and 0 this year while you're six and six without any repercussions. If you're uh, LSU, you don't have an opportunity to go six and six for two years. You just got to do the best with what you got, and you and you've got to you've got to get a guy that's going to get you in there to compete with Alabama and win those games again. So, guys like Mike Gundy, like Oklahoma State, is not one of those schools that has that long-standing tradition of winning a lot of championships. So, but he's built that program up. So I think you. The only way that that will ever happen again is if you have a guy that's willing to go somewhere that's a good – like if, if Lane Kiffin were to decide that he wanted to stay at Ole Miss forever, based on these first two years, I think that that's something that he would be able to do. But I don't think that that's something that Lane Kiffin wants to do. So Gundy being in Oklahoma State and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, like those are the – yes, it's a dying breed because guys like Brian Kelly, he could have stayed at Notre Dame forever. Winning his coach in Notre Dame history and he's gone. So – yeah, I'm going to say yes, absolutely. I actually disagree a little bit, mostly because I look at a lot of the guys in the ACC, um, specifically a guy like Pat Narduzzi at Pitt or a guy like Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. I think those guys are guys that you're not going to see them win a national championship or anything ever. Now, maybe say conference championship, maybe that changes it a little bit. But guys that are coaching the team to where they're winning 
seven to 10 games every single season. I don't think teams like Pitt and Wake Forest and Boston College and Duke, North Carolina, I don't think teams like that dump guys who can get them to that level because they know they're not going to be competing for national championships. Oklahoma State, to me, is on a different playing field than uh, teams like Pitt and all that, like a lot of those ACC teams. So for me, Oklahoma State, I don't ever see anything like that happening again. But if you're looking at lower tier programs that are in the Power Five, I think I think there's a lot more guys that will be like him. Dave Clawson specifically, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be around uh, Wake Forest for a, a long time. And on to our next question. This is from at Coach Kissler. His question is, best offensive coordinator options for Georgia Tech and Georgia Southern? I'll be honest. I like I, – I want to see Georgia Tech become pretty relevant again, like where they're competing for ACC championships like they were in the – the mid to late two thousands, like that was that was really a lot of fun. Like them and Clemson used to have have some great battles. If you wanted my opinion on who they should hire as an OC, I think they've got to find somebody that doesn't have a lot of name recognition behind them. That's kind of trying to make a name for themselves. Um, I can't think of the guy's last name, but Willie, what's his name, uh, from the offensive coordinator at uh, Coastal Carolina, he's done a really good job there with developing an offense uh, that that works for them. Keys, can you give that name for me? It's Coastal's offensive coordinator. Willie Corn. Willie Corn. It sounds like a guy that would be an offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech. And but I think that that's a guy that you've got to go get. You you can't get like I know that we were we were talking in our group message about guys like Rich Rod or Dan Mullen. First of all, I don't think Dan Mullen would go to Georgia Tech. Uh second of all, Rich Rod, I feel like he's coasting on the coattails of being the guy that made took West Virginia to win a Sugar Bowl and that's kind of his long-standing tradition, but Outside of that, Rich Rod really hasn't done much. He didn't do much at Michigan. He didn't do anything. He had Matt Corral at at Ole Miss and was starting John Rice Plumley over him. So I I I just don't think that Rich Rod's a guy. I, I think you've got to find a guy like that though that's going to be affordable, that's young, and could kind of be molded into that coaching waiting type deal. Because I really don't think that Jeff Collins is going to be there much longer. Uh, him getting rid of everybody is like a last ditch effort. And then OCs at Georgia Southern. I want somebody to come in that's going to run a, a system that's just getting out of the, the the option style that we've been doing. I don't I don't really haven't really looked at a lot of names that are being thrown out there, but I trust Clay Hilton's going to make a good hire and and I'd like to see him bring in somebody that's going to bring in more of a, a spread West Coast type of option of a pass passing offense. He did clean house with everybody except for who was the interim coach Kevin Whitley. Kevin Whitley. Yeah, he yes. cleaned house except everyone except for him. I, the only one outside of Wit that I was uh, that I was hoping that he would have kept on was uh, Victor Cabral, the D line coach. But you know what? Do your thing, Coach Helton. Uh, we 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 put our faith in you here at the Around the Keg podcast. See, for me, I think for Georgia Tech, it comes down to so if you want somebody good, you got to get a guy that played for Georgia Tech. Like if, if besides that. Dan Mullen, I know people have talked about Dan Mullen. I would be so surprised if he came to be a coordinator at Georgia Tech. Like, it'd be one thing maybe to be the head coach um, after what he did at Florida, but, and I know him and Jeff Collins have a relationship from when Jeff Collins was a defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. 
But Dan Mullen's not going to do that. I think Dan Mullen is going for a offensive offensive coordinator or head coaching job in the NFL, or he's sitting at home this next year and seeing what his options are next year. That's my prediction for Dan Mullen. For Georgia Tech, I think it's either going to be running back coach to Shard Choice. It's their running back coach right now. He played running back for Georgia Tech. Uh, he was a good player. Um, he's a fan favorite. A lot of guys are calling for him to be the guy there. Um, for me, I think it comes down to look for guys that played for Georgia Tech that are in the NFL right now who have that experience to bring back with them and can help develop the offense they're trying to come up with at Georgia Tech. So that's co-offensive coordinator at Miami, George Godsey, also the tight ends coach. He's been there for about three years. He's done a good job. Uh, obviously, their offense isn't crazy good, but just the fact that he's there, he's getting that experience, kind of similar to like how Joe Brady did it uh, at the Saints. He's a guy that could come in and bring some expertise with him from what he got at the NFL. And another guy is um, – Ohio State's quarterback coach, Corey Dennis, also played at Georgia Tech. Um, obviously, he's done really well with C.J. Stroud this year. C.J. Stroud is going to be in New York for the Heisman Ceremony. He might not win it, but he's going to be there. To me, those are the best guys. Uh, for Georgia Southern, I honestly have no idea. I know Clay Helton's going to run the offense. That's what he does. Um, I think I'm sure we'll hire a coordinator. I don't think he'll name himself as offensive coordinator, but I don't really think it's going to be a name many people are going to recognize. So. That's all I got for it. And on to our next question. This one's from at Ethan Hellman. And his question is, is two first-time playoff teams still a realistic possibility? I think three first-time playoff teams is a real possibility. If, if, if Alabama loses to Georgia in a blowout, Oklahoma State beats Baylor, Michigan beats Iowa, and Cincinnati beats Houston pretty somewhat handily, then you're going to have – Really, it's three new to the playoff and then one that hasn't been in a while. So uh, all that talk about all the parity that we needed and same four teams make it every year, let's expand the playoff, that's out the window. I, I, I definitely think two new teams will make the playoff this year. Yep, completely agree. We're going to get two. We will for sure have two teams that are new to the playoff. I don't know about that third. The third is kind of up in the air. It's more likely than not that we do see it be in Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. But obviously, this football season has not really gone to plan. So it's like, really, who knows? The only other team that could get in would be Notre Dame. And even the committee chair said that he is going to look at Notre Dame with a different perspective because he knows Brian Kelly is not going to be the head coach. So that could really hurt them. Ohio State, honestly, might have a chance to slide in. Uh, just solely because of that. I would not be surprised to see Ohio State jump Notre Dame next week, just given the whole thing with Brian Kelly, unless they promote a guy from within like Marcus Freeman to where they know it's kind of still being run by the same team and uh, there's not a whole completely different culture change going on in Notre Dame. So, uh, But two is 100% going to happen, guaranteed. Um, on to our next one. This one is about the Irish. This is from at Edwin Cook. His question is, who is going to lose this weekend to propel my Irish to the playoffs? I'm sorry, Eddie, but given the current state of what has happened at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly leaving, I think you would need Cincinnati to lose. I think you would need Alabama to lose, and you would need Michigan to lose in order for Notre Dame to sniff 
at the playoff. And don't get me wrong, that's not completely out of the question. Uh, I think that I think Cincinnati's like a ten and a half point favorite. I think Michigan's a ten and a half point favorite, and then Alabama's a six and a half point dog. So, but if all three of those things ha- all three of those things happen, then I think Notre Dame gets in. I also wonder, like, how do you judge a Notre Dame team that doesn't play in a conference championship? Like, if, if Alabama loses to Georgia, the number one team in the country, they would technically be eleven and one in the regular season still, just like Notre Dame. But Notre Dame didn't have to play that conference championship game. So, would the committee value a good loss over not playing a game? That would be an interesting conversation at the committee table, I think. See, I think all Notre Dame needs to happen is one of Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, or Michigan to lose, and then Alabama to lose, and it for and for it to not be that close. Because I could absolutely see Alabama losing to Georgia on like a and like the game of the year, super super close game. Georgia kicks a field goal right at the end to win it. And then them saying, okay, there's no way we can put this one loss Notre Dame team who just lost their head coach in front of this one loss, regular season one loss, end of the year two loss to the number, second loss to the number one team, Alabama team that just lost to the best team in the country who's dominated the entire season by one point in the SEC championship game. I could absolutely see that happening. Um, but I think if Georgia wins by at least seven to 10, and then you got one of Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, um, and Mich- and Michigan. You just got to have one of them lose. That go that puts them out of the playoff and puts Notre Dame in. Notre Dame's just sitting there waiting on um, that second team besides Alabama to lose, and then they're in. Um, to me, I think it's Cincinnati. Cincinnati is the only team I see that's going up against a team they haven't seen this year that has a lot of firepower and a team that I think is extremely underrated in Houston. Um, they've been really, really good this year. I've watched a couple of their games. I've kept up with pretty much all of them. They've dominated pretty much everyone they played, and they're a one-loss team in the AAC, uh, which is a pretty tough conference for the group of five. So Cincinnati, if you want someone on upset watch, watch for them. So I have a question for you guys while we're still in Notre Dame. I know that Notre Dame, a lot of things kind of have to happen for them to get pushed up into the playoff. Um, But maybe you guys can – educate me on this has there been another team in a situation like notre dame that loses their coach when they actually do have a semi-practical chance to make the playoff or is this kind of like the first time that someone's kind of jumped ship when they're this hot this is the first time that it's happened to to my recollection and and the only other one that but it, it, and it didn't happen was urban left but that was after the season was over and Ryan Day had already coached the first four games of that year anyway because he was suspended because of the Zach Smith stuff. So I I, I think today Notre Dame actually named Marcus Freeman the interim head coach probably as a way of doing that. Did they not? I don't think so. I haven't seen oh, wow. if, they did, if they did. I, th- I thought that they had. If not, um, then I, I think that they're hurting their chances because I think if they if they name Marcus Freeman the, head, the interim head coach, at least interim, uh, that might ease the committee's feelings a little bit, but they get, then again, I could also see Notre Dame trying to make a splash higher. If they're going outside of the building, if they're not going to go Marcus Freeman, if they're going to try and get a Luke Fickle, uh, I could see them trying to wait till after this weekend to try and make a splash higher like that. If since he were to lose, see, I think uh, keys for your question. I think the closest thing you could compare it to is 
Lane Kiffin leaving Alabama before the national championship game, and then Steve Sarkeesian having to come in and coach. To me, that's the, as close as you can get with it. And, yeah, and even then, that's like it's OC not a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And Lane Kiffin ran that entire offense, so that was a big loss for Alabama. It was uh, a huge loss that yeah, year. That was what, 2017? That was 2016. It was 2016. Oh, 16, yeah. Well, it was a, it was in the seven it was in January of 2017, but it was a 2016 season. season, yeah. Right. So, it was to to me like that but we were already in the playoff at right. that point. That well, that's what I'm saying. It's so, just like it's as close as you can get to right, having right. anything so on seven. Um they couldn't say, "Oh, well, if Lane Kiffin's not the OC, then you're not going to the national championship anymore." Right, exactly. Which that wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened anyway. I mean, it that was completely different. Of course, Alabama was also. I'm pretty sure y'all were number one going into the playoff that year. We were. We were number. We were number one in the play, going into the playoff that year. Lost to Clemson, then, who was number two. And on the on the pick play. Yeah, the uh, Hunter Renfro. I remember that. Uh, Hunter Renfro lied. Shout out to Crazy Tony Brown. But no, no, there's not been a head coach who has quit on his team right before having a chance to make the playoff. Uh, and for our next question, this is our last one. Kind of already talked about it. We'll just run over it real quick. This one's from at Daniel underscore Connors 58. His question is, who will have the best hire this offseason? You think it's already happened? Uh, Keys, are you talking about like Oklahoma? What did you say? I didn't even I'm, saying, I'm just saying, do you think the best hire of the offseason actually isn't in the offseason or has it already happened? So I think it just means in general, who's going to have the best hire? Yeah. You're, 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 I think it a bit depends on what you mean by best. Most longevity, fastest turnaround. Uh, we, we've kind of already said our piece on that. I think if you're talking long term, the best hire is Billy Napier. If you're talking fastest to being a national relevant team, I agree with Wit Brian Kelly or a, a playoff team, then it's Lincoln Riley. Fastest to a national championship caliber team, Brian Kelly. Yeah, see, I agree with you. I think when it's all said and done, the best hire is going to be at Oklahoma. And this might be, you know, an unpopular take. I think Brent Venables is going to be the head coach at Oklahoma. I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to hear about it soon. It might not be this week. It might not be early on next week, maybe by the end of next week. I don't know. But I think uh, Brent Venables is going to be the guy. And I think he is going to be the guy to get Oklahoma over that hump and win a national championship. I don't think he's a guy that's going to come in there and win it in the next five years. I don't think he's going to do what Brian Kelly is going to do at LSU. And I think Brian Kelly is going to have LSU competing for the next five years. But with Brian Kelly, I don't think he's going to be around as long as his contract has him being around for. He's an old dude. I know Saban's an old dude too. And I just, I have a feeling Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge, doesn't stick around longer than five years. I think he's got five years there. I think he wins a national championship in that five years. But I think that's it for him. Uh, to me, long-term national championship, building the program, making it tougher, Brent Venables to Oklahoma. If that happens, that's going to be my hire of the year. And we'll move on to our pour one out, cut them off segment. Matt, who you pouring one out for? So this week, I wasn't on last week. 
uh, to do this. But this week, I am pouring one out for longtime Tuscaloosa News sports writer Cecil, Cecil Hurt. Uh, anytime that I wanted information about what was really going on, went on, went on, with on with Cecil Hurt was a guy that had been known to be very reliable, had a lot of great relationships with people in the building there. Uh, he was, I, I never, like, I didn't know the guy personally, personally, but I had met him, talked to him before. Super nice guy, always really fun to interact with on Twitter. Great dude. He passed away from pneumonia last week, so uh, right before Thanksgiving. So pouring one out for him. Uh, awesome guy. And this week, I am cutting off the Atlanta Braves because they have not re-signed Freddie Freeman yet. And I don't understand how you can let that guy walk right now. And apparently, the deal that he wants is six-year, $180 million. $30 million a year. It's really not that much for reigning, uh, not, not reigning anymore, but for a National League MVP and an every-year contender to win a batting title and the heart and soul of your locker room, money shouldn't be an issue. Go sign the man, Braves. It's been too long already for him being a free agent. Completely agree. Braves, come on, guys. Resign Freddie Freeman. Don't let him go to the Dodgers. I will cry. Don't do it. Please resign Freddie Freeman. I'm pouring one out for Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops became the interim head coach for Oklahoma. I think there's a small chance he ends up being the head coach for Oklahoma, at least for the next like three years, until they find a guy that they really want to be there long term. I'm not saying it happens. I think there's a chance it could happen, though. Bob Stoops came in, gave a great speech about trying to keep recruits, about Oklahoma being more than just one guy, referring to Lincoln Riley, who left for USC. Um, and there was a video of Lincoln or uh, of Bob Stoops throwing Lincoln Riley's stuff out of off the roof near his office. I don't know if that was real or not. I honestly don't think it was. But if it was, I mean, what a great loyal move for Bob Stoops. Um, so I'm pouring one out for him, and I'm cutting off Brian Kelly holding a meeting at 7 a.m. just to spend three minutes telling his team that he's leaving for LSU and he appreciates them. Like this, that's something I, I understand doing that. If everyone already didn't know about it, like you want to have a special meeting, you want to be the first one to tell him before the news gets out. Unfortunately for Brian Kelly, the news got out before he wanted it to. So don't have a 7am meeting. I mean, the honestly, I think the only reason he did that is because he had to fight to catch the next two hours. Like he literally had like an early meeting, talked to him in the face, left before anyone else did literally turned around and left like right after there was like a, I think the meeting was at seven. There's a video of him talking for about three minutes. And then there's another picture of him walking off the Notre Dame campus at like seven fifteen. Like that to me, that's just absurd, man. Like say your piece in the text message, you know, maybe put out a statement for the team. Like, good for you for, you know, wanting to talk to your players, but don't call a 7 a.m. meeting, make your players get up and come sit through that. Like, that's just ridiculous. Dude, did you see that he sent out the the text, like, the night before when he called the 7 a.m. meeting saying, yeah, everything that you're hearing is true, like, I am leaving? Like, if anything, say, hey, if you want to come, I'm having a meeting tonight so I can explain myself. You know, I, I care about you guys, but... And, and I, I didn't intend for this to get out first, but you kidding me, man? That That's just stupid. I can't believe that you would have a 7 a.m. meeting to tell the guys what they already know. Oh, yeah, by the way, the rumors were true, and I already told you that last night, so bye. And I don't think that you're ever going to be as good as LSU. 
<laughs> that's yeah, pretty much like, what he told him. <laughs> to me, that's just ridiculous. Like, at, at that point, you know, just, just put out his statement. I mean, let it go. It, it is what it is. Like, either that or he should have told them a while ago that that's probably what was going to happen. I don't know. Either way, wasn't handled the best. I think Brian Kelly kind of got the short straw with the fact that the news came out before he was ready for it to come out. But he, he could have handled it better. Keys, you pour one out for all right, so this week I'm pouring one out for contracts. Lots of crazy contracts going around. Two of my favorite right now are Max Scherzer uh, for the New York Mets. God, that's not that's not my favorite. I don't want him going to the Mets. No, it's not my favorite in terms of like teams I like, but and I, I saw a stat about this. And so Max Scherzer, he's getting $130 million over three years. Uh, he's an old dude, too, so good contract for him. But I saw a stat somewhere that said something like he's going to make like $82 a minute. Which is just a crazy breakdown of that. I thought that was kind of funny. Another contract is Lincoln Riley's. Uh, Matt talked about this one earlier. Uh, he kind of alluded to it, but I want to break it down real quick if you didn't hear this. So Lincoln Riley's contract at USC, it's uh, 110 million dollars. That's correct, right? 110, something like that. Ten year, 110 million. Yeah, 110 million dollar contract, just base pay. USC bought both of his homes in Norman for 500 thousand dollars over asking price, so it's basically a million dollar bonus. They bought him a $6 million home in L.A., and he gets unlimited use of the private jet 24-7 for his family. So that's a that's a pretty sweet deal, man. I'd be leaving Oklahoma, too, for all that. Yeah, me too. And, and I'm actually going to be cutting off Oklahoma for just their week in general, losing to Oklahoma State. So they're kind of down and out. And then after all that, your coach is just kind of up and gone. Uh, I saw somewhere, too, where I don't know if this is real or not. I saw it was like a leak that Lincoln Riley tried to text Spencer Rattler and say, hey, you know, maybe try coming over to USC. And he responded with, good luck, LOL, or something like that. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny. I, I don't know if I'd even want Spencer Rattler. He's a good quarterback, but I don't know that I'd be fighting for him like that. No, I wouldn't want Spencer Rattler either. Honestly, if I were Lincoln Riley, I'd be hoping that he'd take, you know, the the QB position at Ole Miss, go to Arizona State, back home, pretty close to where he grew up, something like that, so. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Keys. Uh, we'll go ahead and get into our picks. We got championship weekend. We got tons of big games going on this week. Starting with Friday night, we got the Pac-12 championship. Oregon gets another shot at Utah after Utah blew out Oregon, ended their chances of making the playoff. Matt, who you got? So I wasn't on the show two weeks ago, but I made this pick two weeks ago. I said Utah was going to beat them then, and Oregon was going to win in the Pac-12 championship. I'm sticking with that. I like the Ducks here. It's really hard to beat a team twice, but it's also really hard to beat a team when you don't have your home field advantage and all that energy behind you. You're going to be playing in a neutral site, and I really like uh, Mario Cristobal to have those guys ready to play. Um, I'm, I'm going. I'm going Ducks. I am too, and for the exact same reasons, Matt. I think it's really hard to beat a team twice, especially a good team like Oregon. Oregon shouldn't have been a playoff team. I'm glad they're not in the playoff. I think Oklahoma State and Michigan will be better contenders than Oregon or Ohio State would have been. Um, And I think the fact that it's on a neutral site and not in Utah this time gives Oregon a little bit more of an advantage because I think you'll see more of their fans travel for this game than you will Utah as well. Um, Not, you know... Talking bad about the Utah fan base. They got a really good fan base. But Oregon doesn't really see a lot of Pac-12 championships, not in the last couple years. Um, So they really want to win this one. And on to our next game, one of our noon games on Saturday. We have 
The Big 12 championship played in Arlington, Texas. We have Baylor against Oklahoma State. Matt, who you got? So I'm I'm kind of cheering for Oklahoma State in this game. I would like to see Mike Gundy win this game, and I think they should. But one thing that I've seen happen time and time again is you win an extremely emotional game at home against a team that you don't really do well against, and and it's a massive rivalry. And those games are really emotionally draining. And emotional draining, so you take the physical beating, you take the emotional beating that happened in Bedlam, and I think that's the perfect storm for Baylor to win this game and go to the Sugar Bowl, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think Baylor's going to sneak up on an Oklahoma State team that is overall better than them, and they've already played once this year. Again, hard to beat a team twice. I think Baylor comes out. Dave Aranda's going to have those guys ready. They didn't have nearly the emotionally draining week last week that Oklahoma State did. I've got Baylor in a close upset. Whew. I don't know about that one, Matt. I know Oklahoma State and Baylor have already played this year. Oklahoma State won by 10. As we said before, it's really hard to beat a team twice. But to me, I think Oklahoma State is just a better team than Baylor. Baylor's got a tough defense. Baylor's offense is good enough to win this game. But I think Oklahoma State is stronger on defense and stronger on offense. And I just can't see Baylor, especially without their starting quarterback they had against Oklahoma. They got their backup quarterback playing as of the last two weeks. Um, And they've looked like a different team. I think Oklahoma State wins. Um, The spread is also five and a half. For, towards Oklahoma State, I think they cover those points as well. And moving on to our next game, we have the Sunbelt Championship. We got App State as a two-loss team taking on the Billy Napier-less, maybe, Louisiana. Louisiana is ranked 24, and App State is actually a three-point favorite. Matt, who you got? I think Billy Napier is coaching in this game, and that was like one of the stipulations that he, that he wanted to made with Florida before they announced it was that he wanted to make sure he coached in this game because Billy Napier is such a likable guy from what I've heard and that his players love him. I think they might show out for this game, but I don't blame Vegas for favoring app state in this one. App state's played really well recently. Uh, These guys played on a Tuesday night earlier this year, whenever in, in Louisiana and Louisiana blew the doors off of them. Uh, it's not going to be on a Tuesday night. It's going to be on a Saturday. A lot of rematches happen in this weekend and championship weekend. Uh, but I still think Louisiana is going to pull this one off. I like, I like Louisiana to win, even though app state's been playing really well and we get them. They're going to get this game on a full week rest. I think app state shows out in this game. I think chase Bryce has really turned things on. Um, after that, UL game. Since then, he's beaten Coastal Carolina and he's blown out the last five teams of the season, winning by more than 21 points in every single one of those games. To me, three touchdown win equals a blowout. Um, I got App State. I do think it's a close game. I think it's a really, really, really good game. Might even be the best game of the entire day. Um, and I'm going to take App State to win it. Billy Napier, I just don't think he... To me, if I if my coach is leaving, I don't know if I'm showing out for this game. Maybe just because I don't think they've ever won a Sunbelt championship before, or at least not since I've been paying attention to the Sunbelt, which has been the last six years since I've been to Georgia Southern and graduated. But I got App State. Moving on to the ACC championship. This game is a night game in Miami. We got number 15, Pittsburgh, playing 
Number 16, Wake Forest, right there neck and neck. Pittsburgh is a three-point favorite. Matt, who you got? I'm going with a favorite in this one. I'm going Pitt. Uh, I I really like Kenny Pickens. I think that he's going to have a great game. Wake Forest doesn't play defense. They can score with the best of them, but they don't play defense. And I think that's going to be the bane of their existence. And I think Kenny Kenny Pickens is going to play himself into being in New York the following Saturday night for the Heisman presentation. I don't necessarily think he wins it, but I think he plays himself into that top five uh, and even maybe the top three uh, for Kenny Pickens. Give me Pitt. I, li- I like Pitt a lot. I would love to see Wake Forest win just because of the – that like saying that out loud, Wake Forest, ACC football champions, uh, is is something that I never thought I would say this year. Um, but you know what? I, I just I, I think Pitt is a pretty good football team. Uh, give me Pitt. See, if you look at the stats, Pitt is the obvious favorite. Pitt has averaged more total yards a game, and they've allowed about a hundred yards less a game than Wake Forest has. Pitt doesn't have a great defense. Wake Forest for sure doesn't have a great defense. They have a terrible defense. But to me, I think this comes down to who wants it more. And I think it's going to be Wake Forest. I like Sam Hartman. He's done really well this year. They have some really talented receivers there as well. Pitt, their offense is all Kenny Pickett. They've been real strong this year. But if Kenny Pickett's off, if he has a couple of turnovers, which he's a little bit prone to do, it's going to... It's going to hurt their game. So I'm going to go with Wake Forest in a close, 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 close slobber knocker. This is my take the over game of the week. Uh, I got Wake Forest. I'm rolling with the Demon Deacons. Uh, On to our next game. We got the American Athletic Conference Championship. This game is a 3 p.m. game. Most people will probably be watching the SEC Championship, but this should be a good game as well. We got... Cincinnati, who is number four as a 10.5-point favorite over Houston, who is ranked 21. Matt, who you got? Notre Dame fans, tune into this one because this is the one that you really need to have happen. Uh, I wonder if Luke Fickle is going anywhere. Does that have an impact on this game? And if he is, I think since he comes out a little bit sloppy because the coaching carousel has been crazy. But at the end of the day, Cincinnati, I think this is the week that they realize that, look, we're in if we win, and we win controllingly, and I think that's what they do. I think since he starts off slow, finishes hot, wins, covers, and we have a G5 team in the college football playoff for the first time. It would be very college football to have Cincinnati lose this game. Very college football. The one time we have a team from the group of five where all they have to do is win they win this game they're in the playoff that's it they don't need anything else to happen um i think the only thing that could keep them out if they win this game is if alabama beats georgia and oklahoma state blows out baylor because to me oklahoma state you got a one loss oklahoma state team with a really good resume just blew out the number nine team in the country it's be it would be very hard to keep them in over a team like Cincinnati who has played the strength of schedule that they've played. I'm not saying it's something I would do. I'm just saying I think there's a good chance that if Alabama beats Georgia and all else plays out, I think Cincinnati is going to be the one left out of the playoff. Because there's no way they're putting Cincinnati in over a one-loss Georgia. Don't see it happening. Unless Bama beats them by 97, which it would be 
very, very, very surprising. Um, but I'm going to take Cincinnati in this game. I think it's a really good game. I think Desmond Ritter is the better quarterback. I think they are better in all facets of the game. Houston has a very, very powerful offense. I think out of all the games this week, this is the most likely upset because of how strong Houston is on offense. But Cincinnati, even with Luke Fickle more than likely leaving, I have a feeling Luke Fickle is going to be the guy at Notre Dame. I think they're not going to announce it. I think the reason they haven't named an interim coach and the reason they haven't announced Marcus Freeman or anybody as the head coach is because they're going to wait till the end of the year and it's going to be Luke Fickle. Once he's done playing meaningful football games, they'll announce that he's going to be the next guy. And to me, that's a perfect fit for Notre Dame too. There's been a lot of buzz in the past 10 minutes actually about Marcus Freeman. So it may actually happen tonight. Well, if it happens tonight, tomorrow morning. You can you can stream at me next week. Have at it. But I'm going to take Cincinnati. I think it's going to be a close game, uh, but I think Cincinnati wins. Houston probably covers that 10.5-point spread. Um, moving on to our last two games. These are the two games of the week. We got the Big Ten Championship, Michigan coming off the awesome win over Ohio State. First time Jim Harbaugh has beaten Ohio State in his career, coming off a hot seat offseason as well. Just absolutely awesome. Uh, taking on Iowa. Iowa's had a great year, ranked number two at one point until they got blown out by Purdue. Um, game played in Indianapolis. This is going to be a night game as well. Matt, who you got? I said it earlier, ho- emotional home rivalry win for Michigan. The difference is, is I think that this Jim Harbaugh team this year is his best Michigan team that he has had yet. I really like Iowa, but Iowa has no way of moving the football on offense. They have relied heavily all year on offense through defense. And Michigan plays a game where they're just kind of grind out those Iowa defenders. They'll put them to sleep, and then they might make a big pass play to score a touchdown. This, I, I've picked my big upset for the week, which was Baylor. I, I don't think that that Michigan loses this game. Uh, I think Jim Harbaugh, like I said, best team that he's had while he's at Michigan, and uh, he's going to soundly put Michigan into the playoff for the first time in the college football playoff era. I will say this. Iowa is the perfect team to beat Michigan in this game. Iowa, like Michigan State, likes to run the ball, likes to play tough run defense. And unlike Michigan State, has a really solid secondary that creates a lot of turnovers. Cade McNamara is a good quarterback. I like him. I think he should have played more this year. He's only got three interceptions. But to me, he's a guy that if you can pressure him and you can draw up schemes to confuse him, he's a guy you can get to turn over the football. And if he keeps playing J.J. McCarthy as much as he's been this year, if uh, Jim Harbaugh that is, there's a, that's a freshman quarterback. You can easily get him to make some mistakes and throw some interceptions. If Iowa can cause some turnovers, get up early, and just kind of sit on the ball and play tough defense, they're going to win this football game. I don't think that's going to happen. Iowa's offense is abysmal. Their passing game is completely non-existent. Michigan, they're not perfect, but they're a really good football team. They run the ball well. They play really tough defense. Um, I just don't see this as a game that Iowa can win. I think it's closer than the 11-point spread Vegas has it at. Um, But I think Michigan wins 
I, I'm going to say by a touchdown. And on to our game of the week. This is the SEC Championship played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. The game is at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I will be sitting at a wedding right in the middle of it, so not too happy about that one. We got number one, Georgia Bulldogs, as a six-and-a-half-point favorite, taking on number three, Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, this I think it's the biggest spread Georgia's had against Alabama at least since, like, 2008, maybe. So, Matt, who you got? The last time Georgia was favored against Alabama was 2015. The problem with this Alabama team, and I love Alabama. I really do. I... I love the Tide. There is no right side of the offensive line. Brian Robinson is injured. Roy Dell Williams has been out for the year. We have gone down now to Trey Sanders as our primary starting running back. I don't love that. And the key to beating Georgia is doing what Clemson did and turning it into a defensive battle, but having a better offense than Clemson to where you can score points. And with Alabama having Jamison Williams that has a deep threat that can take the top off of the Georgia secondary, with Alabama having John Mechie who can make plays in open space and get open, and Bryce Young as a quarterback that's mobile, can move the pocket, doesn't always necessarily take off and use his legs to gain yards, but always uses his legs to extend plays. If this Alabama team had a defense that I knew was reliable, I would like Alabama to cover that six-and-a-half point spread. I really would. That being said, the offensive line has the issues that it does, and Georgia's front seven is going to have a heyday getting to Bryce Young a la Texas A&M, a la LSU, and a la Auburn this past weekend. It's not a great matchup for Alabama offensively. This is the best offense that Georgia's faced all year. I think it'll be the best offense that Georgia faces all year. I think they might I, I just don't see Alabama being able to score enough and then get stops on defense. I, I think Georgia wins this game, and I think it could turn into a 2018 national championship game just with the way that Alabama's defense is spotty. And Georgia's defense is by far the best in the country. It's not close. It's not, and I see a lot of Alabama fans saying, "Oh, well, Georgia hadn't played anybody." Alabama fans, come on, man. We we're used to hearing that every year, and we do the same exact thing. We know that we've played good teams. We just keep blowing them out. And this is Georgia's year. I think Georgia finally exercises the demons. They get the benefit of playing a down Nick Saban team, Georgia. I like them to win this one, and I think they – I actually do think they cover. But come on, Tide. Prove me wrong, baby. Uh, here's my thing. I think Georgia wins this game the same it's won every other game this year against a right team. I don't think it's a open the door, immediately blowout. I think it's close in the first half. But I – Bryce Young is a great quarterback. Jameson Williams, awesome receiver. John Mechie, great receiver. Those guys are all going to be playing in the NFL. Brian Robinson, too, great running back. To me, I think Georgia can stop Alabama's run game 
just by having a four man rush, three man rush with some with some linebackers playing a little bit up, even with Brian Robinson, because I think there's a huge mismatch on Georgia's defensive line to Alabama's offensive line. If Alabama can't run the ball, that's going to close down the passing game a lot. It's the same thing that happened against Tennessee. And I think Alabama has a better offense than Tennessee, but Tennessee was the same way where they want to throw the ball, but they also want to open up the passing game with the run game. And Georgia completely shut down the run game and, and dropped some guys back. So it was pretty much impossible to throw the ball. I think Alabama is going to hit on some big plays. I think Jameson Williams is too explosive to not hit at least one big play. Um, I think they score more on Georgia than anybody ever has, at least this season. Um, but I think Georgia wins, and I think Georgia wins handily, and I hate saying that because it actually scares the crap out of me how confident I am in Georgia winning this football game with what has happened in these Alabama games. So I'm sure Paul Tyson will get thrown in in the second half and probably come back and beat Georgia down four touchdowns. But to me, logically looking at this game, watching what Georgia's done this year, watching what Alabama's done this year, watching how Stetson Bennett has led this offense against defenses that I think are better than Alabama's and against teams similar to who Alabama has played this year. Actually, most of them have been the same teams. Um, I'm going to take Georgia. I think Georgia wins around maybe like 38 to like 21. I think it's the final score. So, I believe you posted this on our Twitter page, and I've done some research. Alabama, Oklahoma State, who gets in after 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 this past weekend? Alabama. Oh wait, after this Alabama. past week, after this next after, week? Are oh, you talking about after this at, last week that just happened? After yeah. this last weekend, the 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 poll that you just posted on Twitter, Alabama. So I did so I did some digging. Yeah, Alabama, and because initially I was thinking, and I went back and looked, and I was like, oh God, well Alabama's only got two top twenty five wins this year. At, in the lat- latest poll, so does Oklahoma State. But then, so then I went into the the analytics a little bit deeper. Strength of record: Alabama three, Oklahoma State seven. Game control: Alabama three, Oklahoma State was like nine or ten. And then, like, there's the average projection of wins in every game. And whether or not they cover, like, it's not necessarily covering spreads, but it's like, do they win in the manner in which it's projected that they will? Alabama was third in the country. Oklahoma State was eight. So, to end the debate, the analytics of which the, oh, also strength of schedule, Alabama 33, Oklahoma State 38. So, in every category in which the committee values, Alabama gets in over Oklahoma State. All of our Twitter followers can rest easily. Well, I'm actually surprised, too, because on that poll, Oklahoma State actually had more votes the last time I looked, too. Now, obviously, it's been a minute. I looked at during kind of right at the end of work. Spike of some controversy. Let me say this, too, Matt. A big argument for why people are saying Alabama shouldn't even be like in contention for the playoff, which to me is just ludicrous, is because Alabama had close games against LSU. They had a close game against Florida. And then now they've had a close game against... Um, against Auburn, all away games also. If you look at Oklahoma's schedule, Oklahoma, at the beginning of the season, beat Missouri State by seven. They beat Tulsa by five. They beat Boise State by one. one. They beat Kansas State by 11. They beat Baylor by 10. Baylor's a great win. They beat Texas, who is awful, by By eight. eight. 
They, by by, eight. they beat them by they eight. Lost, and- they lost to an unranked, what is Iowa State's record? They lost to an unranked seven and five Iowa State team yeah. by three. The only teams they've blown out this year are Kansas. They won 55 to three. TCU, they won uh, 63 to 17. And then they beat Texas Tech 23 to zero. So my problem is people are looking at Alabama and going, Alabama usually blows teams out. They're only beating like teams that aren't that good by like three or four. So Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, whoever should be ranked ahead of them. If you actually pay attention throughout the entire season and go back and look at the games, even just looking at it on like the ESPN app, every other team is doing this. The only team that is blowing the doors off of everyone they play is Georgia. Every other team is playing teams that are seven and five, three and six, six and six, whatever. They're playing them close. Michigan said the same thing this year. Ohio State did the same thing this year. Cincinnati's done the same thing this year. Notre Dame's done the same thing this year. People are acting like Alabama is worse than these teams because of the fact that usually they're blowing teams out and this year they're not. Is this the same Alabama team? No. But guess what? There's not a team in the pool right now that is blowing everyone out either. It's Alabama's been the same way. If you look at last week and go, how about the team that played Auburn against the Oklahoma State team that played Oklahoma? The Oklahoma State team that played Oklahoma looked way better than the team, the Alabama team that played Auburn. But this is one week. You got to look at week by week by week by week. Obviously, the Alabama team that beat Mississippi State by like five touchdowns is way better than the Oklahoma State team that beat Boise State by one point. So that's my argument. And that was also going to be my point. And you also have to look, and, and, and this is no slight at the Big 12 by any means, Arkansas blew the doors off of Texas in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And Texas played Oklahoma really close. Texas played Oklahoma State really close. They played a lot of games really close. They just didn't win. They got the doors beat off of them by Arkansas. I'm not saying that that necessarily correlates to anything, but, and I will say Alabama, and I've said it all year, Alabama is not your typical Alabama. And... It has everything to do with depth. And I think the transfer portal has been a big part of that because it used to be that guys at Alabama would, they would buy into this whole part of this process and they would buy into the idea that, yeah, you know, I'm not going to start as a freshman, but by the time I'm a senior, I'm going to be a big part of a national championship team. That's not the case anymore. These five star guys want to play. They want to, that's the best way to develop is through playing. So if they're not getting playing time, they leave. And, that's a byproduct of the transfer portal. Love it, hate it, say what you want about it. It's, it is what it is. It's there. It's there to stay. And that's where Alabama's been the worst this year in comparison to other years, where in other years it was like, oh, well, who's the five-star behind the five-star that just got hurt? That's not the case this year. Alabama's vulnerable, especially at wide receiver in a lot of skill positions. Well, here's the thing, too, though. Alabama has a five-star behind the five-star that just got hurt. The recruiting hasn't changed. The players are still there. The difference is all the even the guys they have starting at wide receiver right now are not experienced. Jameson Williams is a transfer from Ohio State. John Mechie has one year of experience being the wide receiver three, kind of two, really three, to Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith last season. And he was great. He's He's fantastic. He was great against Auburn, too. But beyond them, it's all guys that have zero experience playing wide receiver. Either that or guys that aren't really that good, so they haven't really had a chance to get a lot of playing time. 
Like they're they're fine. They're fine players. They're out, they play for the University of Alabama, but they aren't the Jalen Waddles, Devontae Smiths, uh, Henry Ruggs, guys like that. Where in a game like against Auburn, if you lose Jamison Williams, you have guys to back him up. This season, Alabama's not that team. Alabama has to have Jameson Williams on the field. They got to have John Mechie on the field. They got to have Bryce Young on the field. And they got to have Brian Robinson on the field as well. If you lose one of those guys, your offense is going to sputter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on defense, it, it, it is Will Anderson and Will Anderson. Yeah. And Will Anderson. I mean, Fedarian Mathis has had a fine year. He, he's, he's an important player. Uh, Malachi Moore, was it was a huge loss in the Texas A&M game. But Will Anderson is by far and away the most important player on Alabama's team, offense or defense. He is, and, and he's only a sophomore. So defensively, we're really young. Malachi Moore is a sophomore. Uh, a lot of young, inexperienced players. So, and and they just, for for whatever reason, it just hasn't been like it has in the past, where Alabama gets a lead and it's it's curtains. It's it's been competitive games, but I think that that actually will help these guys in the future because we've seen in the past where when Alabama gets in a dog fight, they wind up screwing up. Whereas this year they've been in a lot of dog fights and they've come out on top. And I think that and and Saban's press conferences have kind of been the same all year, where he's tried to tell us Alabama fans all season long, like we're not the team that you're used to seeing. And he said it to the national media, and he said it to the local media, and he's put it on. You know, it's gone out all over the place, but nobody wants to believe it because they see the script day and they just assume, oh well, it's Alabama and they're still Alabama. And by all means, I'm not saying throwing a pity party. We're still, in my opinion, outside of Georgia. If you match us up against Michigan, Oklahoma State, or Cincinnati on a neutral field, I'd like our chances, and I really would. Uh, it, it, so I still think we could be the second-best team in the country, but we're just not that second-best Alabama that you're used to seeing when they're second-best Alabama. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Before you guys log off today, please don't forget to drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, drop a follow on Spotify, and give us a follow on our social media on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Have a great week. See y'all.